0: Amen. Amen. It's uh, the Morning Maple Grove. It's, it's Christmas Eve, and, and we're here to, to worship and celebrate Jesus, the greatest gift of all time. Uh, we're here to celebrate the, the most powerful, life-changing, and darkness-extinguishing words of all. God is with us. Would you just look three people in the eye And tell them, God is with us. God is with us. Now, Matthew writes these words in the opening chapter of his gospel about God being with us. Matthew 1, beginning at verse 20. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, that would be Joseph, in a dream, and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said to the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And and listen, 1,400 years uh, before Emmanuel came, God said to a people who were who were struggling, who were recently delivered, who were wandering in a dark desert wilderness at the time it's coming when I'll set up my residence in your neighborhood. I I won't avoid or shun you. I'll stroll through your streets. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. I am God, your personal God, who rescued you from Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. I I ripped off the harness of your slavery so that you can move about freely. And in John chapter 1, those words from Leviticus 26 landed on our planet. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Father, Jesus, Spirit, wow, what a privilege to gather in this room And we didn't get to be there gathered around that manger, but we get to be here today uh, to celebrate Emmanuel, God, is with us, and to celebrate your son. And Father, I just pray, God, for many of us, this is a story we've known for so long, but God, I pray that you open our hearts and that we realize that there's always more to your gift. In Jesus' name. Amen. And just one day, uh, we're going to celebrate what is without a doubt the greatest gift of all, Jesus. And now maybe you're here today and you've already opened it up. And that's where you are. I say awesome. But even so, I encourage you to take another look, to take a, a fresh look at this indescribable gift this morning. And maybe God could give you something new. Anybody think you could do that? That You can walk out of here with something new, something sparkling. And if you're here today and you've never received or opened up the gift of Jesus, maybe today will be the day that you begin to realize that that the chief, the temporary, the fading gifts of this world are not even worth comparing to Jesus, the greatest gift of all. The virgin will be a child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. 2,000 years ago, the word which was with God and was God left heaven, put on flesh, and made his dwelling among us. Emmanuel, God is with us, set up residence in our neighborhood. He, he strolled through our streets, and the world has never been the same. And for those 2,000 years, the gift of Jesus has been available for every one of us to open up. And it's an amazing gift, an indescribable gift, a multifaceted gift. I mean, there's, there's so many things that, that I can talk about this morning as we unwrap the gift of Jesus, but I only have time to talk about three gifts that are made possible because God was, and God is, and God will always be with us. The gift of his life, the gift of his death, and the gift of his resurrection. Uh, just think about it. God the Son, willingly, because he loved us, stepped down from his heavenly throne and, and put on human flesh. Paul writes this, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who being the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. I understand the king of kings and the Lord of lords did not come with a trumpet blast or great fanfare, rather he came as a small baby wrapped in pieces of cloth lying in a manger. Almighty God. The creator of all that we see lying in a feeding trough for animals. That's insane. And although he he was literally the fullness of God in the flesh, there were no royal attendants meeting his needs, only the loving hands of his mother Mary and the calloused hands of his dad Joseph. They were just common people. Yet there in the manger lying beside them lay their creator, the savior of the world, Jesus the Christ. Uh, But Jesus, like any baby, did not stay that way long. He grew. He took his first steps. He he said his first words. He he ran. He skipped stones. He helped his dad in the carpenter shop. He wrestled with his younger brothers. He he played with his sisters. Jesus laughed and he cried and he fell down. He got backed up. He lived. He cared. Because he lived, the world for 2,000 years has never been the same. Yes, his light truly has lit up the darkness. And and I I want you to do something. I, I I want you to imagine with me for a moment what the world would be like without Jesus. Imagine what our world would be like without him. Now, obviously, there would be huge implication in regard to the forgiveness of our sins, but that's not what I want to talk about right now. And Instead, I, I, I want you to try to get a little glimpse, a picture of what the world would look like if that little baby never came 2,000 years ago. And listen, there's no debate, at least no intelligent debate, that a world would be radically different. Amen? Amen? I mean, for one thing, look at all the great works of art by Raphael, Da Vinci, Michelangelo that never would have been painted. And all the great music by Bach, Mozart, and Beethoven that never would have been written. I understand there would be a huge gaping hole in in art and music if Jesus never strolled our streets. If Jesus never lived, there would be no hospitals or people called the Good Samaritan. There would be no Salvation Army ringing bells this time of the year and helping people throughout the year. If Jesus never came, there would be no churches reaching out to the needy, building orphanages, serving the poor, and providing clean water, food, clothing, shelter, and medical care throughout the world giving away billions every year. There'd be no church buildings dotting our landscape or huge steeples in the center of town. There'd be no YMCA. You know, poor village people, right? <laughs> you know, That stands for Young Men's, what? Christian Association. There'd be no Billy Graham, no Mother Teresa. There'd be no Christmas carols to sing. No joy to the world, no away in the manger, no hark the herald angels sing, no little town of Bethlehem. There'd be no Christmas decorations, no Christmas trees, no Christmas lights, no candy canes, no Christmas stockings, because there would be no Christmas. And there'd be no more fighting over Christmas, right? Or or trying to hide the real meaning of Christmas, you know, which means, the word literally means celebration of Christ, you know, with silly things like happy holidays, because there'd probably be no happy holiday season. There'd be no crosses or buildings no, no crosses around people's necks hanging from their ears or tattooed to their bodies. And, if, and even if there was in America, it would not be the same. Because the reason that brought our founding fathers to this country would no longer exist. I understand, despite the best efforts of history revisionist, pop culture, and secular universities... We know that the primary reason that our founding fathers came was to worship Jesus more freely and like the shepherd spread the word about him. I know that gets out of our textbooks today, but that doesn't mean it isn't true. And who knows what the status of our education system would be? Since all major universities, Yale, Harvard, Princeton, etc., were founded by him. There'd be no golden rule, no "do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And how in the world would we date our checks and date our calendars? I mean, by what method would we mark time if Jesus never came? Since all time, since all of human history revolves around this man, Jesus, B.C. and A.D., despite the silliness out there, right? Common error, right? Get over it, right? It's not common error. It's before Christ, and it's A.D., which means not after death, as I thought, till I went to Bible college. It's Latin for year of our Lord, and I won't even try to say the Latin word because I can't even say English words, amen, And you know that. I didn't bother looking that one up. And where would we be without the words of Jesus? Once when guards came to arrest him and they returned empty-handed, their only excuse was, no one ever spoke the way this man does. And the words of Jesus, understand, they're not bound by time. They're not bound by culture. They're not bound by geography. And for 2,000 years, people from all around the world, from all cultures, all races, all backgrounds, from all walks of life, rich and poor, educated and uneducated, have been impacted and transformed by the words of Jesus. Listen to him. Love your neighbor was spoken by a man whose neighbors tried to kill him. The challenge to leave family for the gospel was issued by a man who waved goodbye to his mom at the doorway. And pray for those who persecute you came from the lips of the one who would soon be begging God to forgive his murderers. Brothers, sisters, the words of Jesus do even more. I mean, they satisfy the deep hunger of mankind. Ignore the words ever spoken. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be satisfied. If anyone is thirsty... A lot of thirsty people in our world because things they're going to are not quenching it. If anyone is thirsty, let them come to me and drink. Everyone who drinks this water, the water I give will be, I mean, the water of the world will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst again. Come to me, all you who are weary. And carry heavy burdens. Some of you are there today. He says, I'll give you rest. And where would we be about without the example of Jesus? I mean, Jesus showed us how to love our enemies, how to pray for those who persecute us and to forgive those who, who hurt us. He, he showed us how to be humble, serving and washing the feet of others. He showed us how to reach out to the hurting, to touch, the untouchable, the comfort, the broken, the lift up, the falling, the love, the unlovely, to look out for the needs of others before our own. He showed us how to, how to love God with passion, how to finish the work the Father gave us, and how to surrender everything for God's kingdom. He showed us how to to lay our lives down for our friends, to pour it all out, give ourselves up for his bride, his church. Bottom line, Jesus showed us how to live the life that we were created to live. He showed us the person that we can and could be. Yes, what a life Jesus lived and what a gift we received from his coming to this earth. His words... His inspiration, his example, his bringing God near. I understand the gift of Jesus' life shows us what life is all about. And it's a life that has been sending ripples through the seas of time for 2,000 years. Merry, Merry Christmas. What a gift, amen? Next, we received the gift of Jesus' death. Now, we don't know exactly when it happened, but we do know that one day, Jesus stood in a carpenter's shop for the last time. It was time for him to leave. You see, he he heard something that made him know that it was time to go. So Jesus, one last time, came to the carpenter shop to smell the sawdust and, and to run his fingers across the sharp teeth of the saw and to pat the faithful Wooden sawhorse one last time. You see, grown up in that place, first as a toddler playing at the feet of his dad and later as a young boy. It was there that Joseph taught Jesus how to grip a hammer and how to cut wood. It was here that Jesus built his first chair and table. Think about it, it. Had a lot of good memories there. Working with his dad, building his mom a birthday present. Hearing mom call them out from the workshop into the house for dinner, having mom run out to bring him a cool drink of water. Yeah, I really do wonder what it was like for Jesus after so many years to go into that carpentry shop for the very last time. It had to be hard to leave. After all, he had spent the best days of his life there. And the thing that had made it especially difficult is because Jesus knew exactly what was up ahead. For you see, he himself had written the last chapter of his earthly story. I understand Jesus knew that the wood he had worked with every day for years would one day hold his beating body. He, he knew that the nails that he had driven, there must have been thousands, would one day be driven through his hands and feet. Yeah, it to be hard to walk out of that door knowing his feet would not rest till they lay pierced on a Roman cross. Now listen, Jesus didn't have to go. He could have stayed. I mean, carpentry was a to trade. And it was his choice, and though it was difficult, in the end, Jesus couldn't stay. No matter what was up ahead, he just had to go. Why? Because of his intense, crazy love for every single person in this room. So one day, Jesus shut the shutters to the windows of the shop, hung up the apron on the wooden peg he had done so many times before, put his hammer in the tool rack for the last time, and walked through the door, and went on to do what he came to do. I understand the cross was drawn into the original blueprint. It was already written into the script. Listen, the moment the forbidden fruit touched the lips of Eve, the shadow of the cross appeared on the horizon. And between that moment and the moment when the man with the hammer placed a spike in the wrist of God, a master plan was unfolding. What does that mean? It means that Jesus planned his own death. It means that Jesus intentionally planted the tree, which one day would become that cross. It means that Jesus willingly placed the iron ore in the earth from which those six-inch nails would be cast. It means that Jesus voluntarily placed Judas in the womb of a woman and set in motion the political machinery that would one day send Pilate to Jerusalem. And brothers and sisters, it means that we can relax. Relax. It means that that we can stop trying to earn or deserve and prove that we're worthy of heaven because Jesus came into the world for one reason, the reason for the season, to save it. And only through his death, a sinless lamb without blemish could the sins of mankind be removed. And And as his blood flowed from the cross, forgiveness became available. That's what Christmas is about. She will give birth to a son. And you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. In the cross, we see the price of God's love and we receive the gift of Jesus' death. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Maple Grove, the gift of Jesus' death. It's amazing. Man, I really hope that we're grateful to it this morning. Understand, this gift means that our debt is paid. This gift means that the battle is already won. This gift means that the enemy is already defeated. This gift means that guilt and sin and shame and distance from God can be removed if we choose to surrender our lives to him. Get it? Good. Good. Bottom line, the gift of his death rocks. And I'm so glad it's under our tree. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once away from him have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Okay, let's wrap up our time this morning talking about the gift of his resurrection. I understand because God put on flesh and visited his planet, not only do we receive the gift of Jesus' life, but we also receive the gift of his resurrection. Which means that not only can our our past be cleaned up, but that our future, our awesome forever is guaranteed. Uh, Jesus said to Martha, as her brother lay in a tomb for four days, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me lives, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? (laughs) I do. And moments before his rest, Jesus said to his guys on the way to the garden who were freaking out, you ever freak out in life about what's up ahead? Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, if we're not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and get you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Now understand, all of human history is advancing, is moving towards one climactic event. And every day, every moment, every tick of the clock brings us closer to the day when the sky will crack open and Jesus will come back. Yes, the king may have left the building, (laughs) but this king is coming back. And Maple grow someday... And maybe real soon, all the activity and sounds of this world will be suddenly, dramatically interrupted as the world resounds with a loud shout and the voice of the archangel and the blast of the trumpet call of God, a loud call to gather his people and to announce the arrival of their king. He's coming back just like he said he would. And brothers and sisters, he will return in glory and he'll be clothed in power and all the earth will see him. And on his robe and thigh will be written these words, King of kings and Lord of lords. And every knee on earth and in heaven will bow down. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And all who belong to him, who are in him, who put their faith in him, all who have chosen to follow and live for him, will rejoice as he gathers them and takes them to their home with the Father. It's the home, it's the world we've always dreamed of. No more death, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more disease, no more stupidness, right? It, 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 it's, it's the home we were created to live in. And it's the place where those deep down desires will be fully and completely and foreverly satisfied. Merry, merry, merry Christmas, Maple Grove. Because God is with us. We're going home. We will never die. There's no need to be troubled. He wrote the last chapters of our story. He's repairing a place for us. He's coming back to get us. We'll be with the Lord forever. But listen, there's even more to the gift of the resurrection than our future resurrection to our new home. Don't get me wrong, that future home, it, 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 it's, gonna, it's gonna blow our minds, right? It's gonna be incredible. But there's also something awesome for the here and the right now. Check out some of the things that Paul wrote in Romans 6. He says, all those who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death, were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, or that just as Christ was raised through the death, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Romans 8, 29, for God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his Son. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. We were buried with Christ through baptism in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a what? We may live a new life. God chose us to become like who? Like his son. Anyone who belongs to Jesus is a new what? Is a new person. The old is what? The old is gone. The new is what? The new has begun. You see... It's always been God's plan—not just to forgive you, but to restore you, to restore you to who you're meant to be. Understand to, to limit Christianity to simply being forgiving and going to heaven is so missed the point. Understand because of his resur- because of his resurrection, we really can live a new life. We really are new people. A new life really has begun. And we really can become more and more like his son. We really can become more and more like Jesus. Merry, Merry Christmas. God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to keep you that way, praise God. He wants you to be just like Jesus. If you're Jesus' father, if you surrender to him, you've been far more than forgiven. You've been delivered from what has kept you from Being the you you were meant to be. You've been rescued from the part of you that sabotages your best intentions. Yes, as crazy as it seems, Jesus' life shows you who you can become. It shows you the life that you can live. Brothers and Jesus, brothers and Jesus, brothers and sisters, and Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Jesus comes where we are in the dark and ugly, And he brings us a life we hunger for, the life we're created for. Colossians 3.10, you've begun to live a new life in which you're being made new and are becoming like the one who made you. And here's what I've been trying to say this morning, that, that Jesus is God with us. And he's the greatest gift of all time. Listen, his life and his death and his resurrection has not only changed history, It can change your story. I want to wrap up with something that was written about 80 years ago about the impact Jesus had on this world. It's called One Solitary Life. Here's a man who was born in an obscure village, a child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another village. He worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. Then for three years, he was a traveling preacher. He never owned a home, never wrote a book, never held an office, Never had a family. Never went to college. Never put his foot inside a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place he was born. He never did one of the things that usually accompanies greatness. He had no credentials but himself. While still a young man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed upon a cross between two thieves while he was dying His executioners gambled for the only piece of property he had on the earth, his own clothes. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave to the pity of a friend. Nineteen long centuries have come and gone, and today he is the centerpiece of the human race and the leader of the column of progress. I am far within the mark when I say that all the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that were ever built, all the parliaments that ever sat, and all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man upon this earth as powerfully as that one solitary life. Amen. Has that one solitary life impacted your life? And I'm here to say it can impact it more and more and more would you stand and pray with me, Jesus? We love you, and we're so grateful to be in your presence right now. And God, I, I pray that each of us will understand just how amazing you are, we'll understand the incredible gift that is ours because of the death of your son. Understand the incredible hope that we have because he rose from the grave. Understand the incredible life that we can live because he now can live inside of us. Jesus, we thank you for being the light in our darkness. And I pray, Jesus, that as we celebrate this season and as the world tries to crowd you out and at times our own busyness tries to crowd you out, God, to remember, it, it, it just comes down to that thing you told that man named Nicodemus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God, we thank you for the incredible love that you have for us. And Father, we thank you for the deep love that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.